6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. It's about 15, 17 years later that Nineveh falls. Bear in mind, we're in the southern kingdom. Josiah is doing some reforms. The northern kingdom has fallen to the Assyrians, but they're starting to face pressure from this rising power that's a, it, it's actually far to the east, but you'll always hear it spoken of as if it's to the north. And that may puzzle you. When you read the Bible, you wonder when Babylon threatens Jerusalem, it's from the north. And you say, that's kind of crazy. Well, there's an Arabian desert that causes them to go north and then south. So they're coming to, whenever they attack Jerusalem, they attack from the north. Even though they're, you know, a couple hundred miles, their headquarters, Babylon is a couple hundred, if you look at a map, you know, it's several hundred miles to the east. But the path to get to Jerusalem is actually a northerly passage, okay? So the, the tra if you understand the topography of the land, the geography of the land, uh, they come from the north and and Israel was like a land bridge between that northern area and Egypt. So as Egypt and whoever, be it Babylon or Assyria or the Romans, wherever the war is going on, Israel's right in the passageway. And whoever is taking over is trampling through their yards. So that's why the whole history is one of, of uh, traffic. I suppose there's an analogy with Poland and Europe or something, but uh, the net of it is, is that... Um, they're right in the traffic pattern. And of course, in, uh, prior to Jeremiah, Assyria is the dominant power, has taken over the northern kingdom. But Assyria now is starting to face this growing power. There's really three major powers, if you think of it that way, Assyria, Babylon, and Egypt. And uh, they're fighting with each other, aligning with each other, and whatever. But Babylon's gradually starting to get powerful, uh, Nineveh falls in 612 during Josiah's reign. He dies at Megiddo in 609 B.C. And Jehoiakim is on the throne for three months. And then Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim will be followed by Jehoiachin. That's what, so I'm going to mispronounce it a little bit to emphasize Jehoiakin and Jehoiachin, two different guys. Jehoiakim is the one that gives Jeremiah the toughest time. And it's also through during his reign that there's this most important battle in that part of the country, uh, the Battle of Karshemesh. And that's where the Assyrian Empire falls. They had been allied with the Egyptians. Pharaoh Necho is defeated at, uh, uh, by the Chaldeans and the Medes. And that's when Nebuchadnezzar, his general of the army, makes that battle. It also happens that at back home his dad dies, he's now king of the world. And uh, that's when things get kind of rough um, as far as uh, Judah's concerned because the Babylonians are used by God to, to punish Judah for their sin. And it's Jeremiah's burden to keep reminding the people uh, uh, to repent, but they don't, and God pronounced judgment falls. 
under Jehoiakim, uh, as I said, is the Battle of Karshmish, and then starts what's really three sieges of Jerusalem. And this is important to try to understand. Jehoiakim reigns from 609 to 597. When uh, the Battle of Karshemesh takes place and Nebuchadnezzar succeeds in defeating Pharaoh Necho, the, the, the ally of the Assyrians, Egypt, Egyptian ally, uh, at that time, on his, you know, he, he lays siege to Jerusalem. That's the first of three sieges of Jerusalem. It's in that siege that certain nobles are exiled, including Daniel. That's when Daniel gets deported to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar puts up in office a guy by the name of Jehoiachin, and he is also bad news. He's such bad news that Jeremiah pronounces a blood curse on him. God puts a blood curse on the royal line, and we'll talk about that a lot when we get there. And Jehoiachin intrigues, tries to adopt a pro-Egypt policy against the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar takes a dim view of that. That leads to the second siege of Jerusalem, where um, Ezekiel is exiled. That's why Ezekiel, that's how he gets to Babylon, he does his writings while in Babylon. And it's in Jehoiachin that is, is, is replaced with uh, Zedekiah, and Zedekiah reigns for um, about, about 17 years, 18 years. And uh, Zedekiah also does some poor politics and intrigues with Nebuchadnezzar's enemies. Nebuchadnezzar now has about a belly full of all of this. And he has the third siege of Jerusalem. And that's where he levels it and takes them all captives and destroys the temple. And then uh, he appoints a governor of Gedalia. And uh, so that's the, the rough era from Josiah all the way through Zedekiah. There's actually five kings, but two only serve three months each. And so there's actually three kings that are very, very major, very important to understand, and we'll talk more about as we go. Now, as I said, Jeremiah's call is about 629 B.C. It's about four years after Jeremiah starts in service as a prophet that there is a guy by the name of Nabopolassar. He's from a province called Chaldea, southern province of Babylon, and he emerges to power. And he reigns until the Battle of Karshemesh and the fall of the Assyrian Empire. It happens that that's where he dies. He doesn't, not in the battle, but he dies. His son, Nebuchadnezzar, technically Nebuchadnezzar II, and incidentally, more properly, it's Nebuchadrezzar is the proper way. It's been mistransliterated for years. But I'm not going to try to change because we all know him as Nebuchadnezzar. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar uh, carries it through about, to about 562. I want to make sure, I want to talk a little bit more, more about Josiah. He took the throne when he was eight years old. Okay. And he reigned for, until uh, he was about 38. He reigned for 30 years. One thing you should understand, to be in fairness here, when, when Josiah takes the throne, up until then, Assyria had been very strong, so strong they took the northern kingdom captive. The previous kings to Josiah introduced increasing amounts of Assyrian elements in their worship, idolatry. On the one hand, Josiah takes charge as a king, and he, under, God calls him to undertake reforms. Now, what God's also doing is he's raising to strength the Babylonians to the south that are putting pressure on Assyria. And that gives Judah, which is one of these small states in between all these world politics, more freedom. 
with Assyria having problems with Babylon, there's more opportunity for Judah to throw off, get rid of some of these Assyrian practices. And, and uh, it's about six years into his reign where uh, Josiah seeks the Lord, according to 2 Chronicles 34, and his reforms begin about four years later. In other words, he's, in, he's, he's into this sin reign about 10 years. He's about 18, starting to really come of feel his strength. And that's when he under, starts undertaking some dramatic uh, reforms. It also happens, the Lord provides, that the book of the law was discovered in the temple a few years later. That's in 2 Kings 22 and 2 Chronicles 34. I won't give you the verses. Give the chapters you can find. And the reforms that we're talking about are detailed in 2 Kings 22 and 23. And it's in this background that Jeremiah is emerging as, as a prophet. The reforms of Jeremiah did not really last. They were a good beginning, but they didn't really stick. And we have evidence of that, if nothing else, by Jeremiah's ceaseless uh, condemnation of Judah's sin. As you go through the book of Jeremiah, he's just not going to let go of the fact that Judah is sinning and that God is going to use. And he also admonishes them to stay out of this world politics, they keep dabbling in it, and of course, God uses their enemies to bring his judgment. Okay, in 609, the, Pharaoh, the Battle of Karshmish, we talked about, oh, correction, no, at 609 is when Pharaoh Necho of Egypt, the same guy, um, he joins Assyria as an ally. Josiah starts to interfere with this. Pharaoh Necho warns him not to, but he doesn't listen. And there's a battle at Megiddo, the same place that gives the name to the area of Armageddon. Uh, it's at Megiddo that King Josiah gets killed. And that's a major tragedy for Judah. Uh, what's happening here is that Babylon, though, is be starting to get stronger than Egypt. And that's going to prove very critical shortly under this Nabopolassar of Chaldea. Um, Nabopolassar took, took charge. Now we're going to shift and talk to the Babylonian kings. Nabopolassar took charge about 625 B.C., but he gets strong enough to destroy Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrians, in 612. So it's his son, uh, Nebuchadnezzar II, that defeats Pharaoh in the famous Battle of Karshemesh near the Euphrates River at 605 B.C. You'll find that in uh, Jeremiah 46 and 2 Chronicles 35. But the important part of that battle, that's when Babylon rules the world. Now, with Josiah getting killed, he's a popular guy. He was, he was, he was a real leader. Uh, that the people are really distraught, and they take matters in their own hands, and they set Jehoahaz on the throne. He's the son of Josiah, but not the oldest son. He only reigns three months, and that's why you don't find much of him in the Scripture. Uh, he tends to have an anti-Egypt, pro-Babylonian policy, but uh, that was a, probably, uh, he shouldn't be dabbling because Pharaoh Necho in Egypt thinks that's kind of, doesn't like that kind of a policy. So Pharaoh Necho does four things. He deposes him, um, 2 Kings 23, by the way. He takes him to Egypt. He exacts tribute from Judah. And what Pharaoh Necho arranges, he sets the oldest son of Josiah, who happens to be this guy's half-brother, whose name is Eliakim, but he changes the name to Jehoiakim. That's the one with a K. Okay, Jehoiakim. This is all in 2 Kings 23 and 2 Chronicles 36, for those of you that want to dig into that. Now, Jehoiakim is, is very important. He reigns 11 years, and it's his reign that gives Jeremiah 
his greatest trial and um, opposition. He and Jeremiah are totally at opposite ends on every subject. Religion, politics, you name it. Jeremiah is obviously calling for reforms. Jehoiakim ignores it. Jeremiah tries to point out that God is raising Babylon to judge Judah. And Jehoiakim ignores that and wants to resist Babylon and play intrigues with Egypt and gets himself in all kinds of trouble. Jehoiakim, though, so I want you to have some impressions of these because we're going to start getting into all that as we go through the book. He is the worst and most ungodly of all Judah's kings. He's bloodthirsty. He's the enemy of the truth. He was totally uncaring uh, relative to the worship of God, of the God of Israel. Um, he ex extracted exorbitant taxes, used forced labor without pay. Just a bad dude. Um, 605 was the Battle of Karshemesh, as I say, and that's which caused a, cha a major change in the, in the power structure there. When that happens, Nebuchadnezzar lays siege to Jerusalem and makes Jehoiakim a vassal of the king. In other words, yes, he's still king, but he's, he's under uh, Nebuchadnezzar. The nobles are then exiled, which include Daniel, I mentioned that. This date, the first siege of Nebuchadnezzar, where Jehoiakim is, you know, loses, is the first siege of the three, and it starts a period of time called the servitude of the nation. It was prophesied to last 70 years. It lasts 70 years to the very day. And when the time comes, we'll get into that. The second siege will occur, then the third siege is where Nebuchadnezzar has a belly full of levels it, that's under Zedekiah and all of that, and destroys it. The third siege is about 19 years after, the, the period of time from the first to the third siege, where all this is going on, is about 19 years. And I'm going to link up later when we get into this, the, the, I'll point out to you that the first siege of Nebuchadnezzar starts the period known as the servitude of the nation has lasted the last 70 years. There's also a period in prophecy called the desolations of Jerusalem. They're also prophesied to be 70 years, and most scholars get those two mixed up. The servitude of the nation starts at the first siege of Nebuchadnezzar, in my personal opinion, and many opinions, I have mine alone. The servitude of the nation and the desolations of Jerusalem are not coterminous. Many scholars presume they are, but if you look carefully, they're not, because Jerusalem continues to exist for those 19 years. It's a vassal city. In the third siege of Nebuchadnezzar, Jerusalem is destroyed. That starts a period of time called the desolations of Jerusalem. And the desolations of Jerusalem are also predicted to be 70 years. Everybody assumes it's the same 70-year period. It's not. Later on, when the Jews are released from the Babylonian captivity and go home, they can go home, but they don't have the authority to rebuild the city. The rebuilding of the city, not the temple, the city, is the main trigger point in the 70-week prophecy of Daniel. That occurs later under Nehemiah and all of that. Now, there is a prophecy we'll explore later at the right time, which talks about 2,484 years, two months, and three days, and all of that. We'll get into that. But if you start that reckoning from the first siege of Nebuchadnezzar, the servitude of the nation, you come. it ends up pointing to May 14th of 1948, when the nation is regathered in the land. Nineteen years after the first siege, the third siege of Nebuchadnezzar, if you count that same period of time there, which triggers the desolations of the city of Jerusalem, you come to June of 1967 when Jerusalem was back under the Star of David for the first time since Christ's crucifixion. So I'm going to suggest speculatively 
I don't know that this is right. I'm just making observations that these things seem to fit. Now, if that's true, then the prophecies and the relevance of these milestones and dates and sieges have enormous significance to you and I as we try to understand what God is doing in Israel today. To understand that, you should understand what God was doing in Israel then. So there is a prophetic outline reason for understanding Jeremiah. There's a personal reason for understanding Jeremiah, is to understand his walk and his source of energy and, and how he withstood his incredible circumstances. But there's also a national reason to understand Jeremiah, and we'll get to that too. Getting back to Jehoiakim, this 11-year reign of this bad guy, he sponsors idolatry, widespread injustice. He's the inveterate foe of God and his word, and his revolt uh, obviously is unsuccessful and leads to the first siege of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Jeremiah, during this time, is persecuted, plotted against, uh, maligned, and finally imprisoned. Uh, the king, Jehoiakim, destroys his prophecies, takes the book, destroys it. It's later replaced, and that may account for some of the reasons why it's not chronological. It's he and Baruch, his scribe and secretary, you know, replace it subsequently. During all these troubles, Jeremiah does not swerve from a commitment before the Lord. He has an unpopular theme. He's, he's a deep, deep-feeling patriot, and yet uh, he has to see his nation sin, refuse to repent, and fall under God's judgment, not heeding his continual impassioned um, admonitions. Jehoiakim uh, dies violently in Jerusalem after his 11-year rule. Um, just as, as Jer Jeremiah predicts, you will predict that and it, follow, it happens that way. And he's replaced by Jehoiachin, his son. Now, Jehoiachin gives you the additional complication. He is, at least not always, guys, only reigns three months. I think he also was a teenager, although we're a little not clear on that one. He is also known as Jeconiah or, and sometimes shows up in... Um, Jeremiah as Coniah, C-O-N-I-H. Unless it's pointed out to you through a study Bible or something, you'd have no way of following all this, but Jehoiachin or, or Jeconiah is the one that the, Jeremiah also denounces and, in fact, ultimately, under the Lord's direction, pronounces a blood curse, and that creates all kinds of messianic line problems that we'll talk about when we get there. Uh, this teenage king, Jehoiachin, is also a wicked monarch. It's his father's rebellion even though he, he died violently, but it was his father's rebellion that, he, that he'd started that causes Nebuchadnezzar to siege Jerusalem the second time. Uh, Jeconiah, or Jehoiachin, uh, capitulates. Uh, he's exiled to Babylon along with a lot of nobles. That's when the, the temple is plundered. That's when Ezekiel is also taken captive and, and so forth. And uh, the king, uh, Jehoiachin, is exiled in Babylon for 37 years. He's enslaved in Babylon uh, there. He's finally released by Evil Merodach, that's his name, E-V-I-L hyphen Merodach, who's a son and successor to Nebuchadnezzar by then. Belshazzar, the handwriting of the wall, really wasn't Nebuchadnezzar's son, it was his grandson. So that's confusing, because in the, in the old languages, you don't have this great-grandson concept, you just have son. The son doesn't necessarily mean adjacent son, it just means successor, see? So, but the immediate successor, Evil Merodach, and I believe it was his son that is Bel, Belshazzar, the the guy that is presiding when uh, Cyrus the Persian conquers Babylon. That's Slater, of course, obviously. It's interesting that Ezekiel, when he refers to the king, he refers to Jeconiah, not Zedekiah. When, Je when Ezekiel is in 
Babylon, his king, evil though he was, was Jehoiachin. And it's interesting that he makes that reference, not to Zedekiah. That leads us then, when Nebuchadnezzar has the second siege and takes this guy captive, Nebuchadnezzar was a, quite a character. He was um, a kingmaker. He finds a guy by the name of Mataniah, who was also a son of Josiah. Remember, going back, Josiah the good king, all these bad news guys were brothers or half-brothers, but were all sons of Josiah. He finds uh, a son of Josiah. It's a full brother of Eliakim. That's the one whose name was changed to Jehoiakim. He's the uncle of Jehoiachin, the guy that was the, just deported. His uncle is a guy by the name of Mataniah. Nebuchadnezzar changes his name to Zedekiah. If you're not confused by anything, I thought if it's too simple, if I just give you a few things. Now, Zedekiah, we're going to hear a lot about. Zedekiah is the king that um, is installed in the second siege. Doesn't do too well and ends up falling in the third and final siege. Zedekiah is pretty close to Jeremiah. That's the good news. Bad news is he's a weakling, no strength. And he, although he tries to help, it's a cowardly, useless way and doesn't accomplish much. But we're going to hear a lot about Zedekiah. Interestingly enough, this whole business of the son of Josiah and Eliakim and having his name changed over it is confirmed by the Babylonian Chronicles, which are archaeological finds. In fact, the Babylonian Chronicles and the Lashish letters are major finds that give us all this background. It confirms all this stuff. If you're interested in this thing, there is a book published in 1956 by the London Museum called The Chronicles of the Chaldean Kings, 626-556 B.C. in the British Museum by D.J. Weissman. And it's a thorough archaeological confirmation of this whole business that I'm going through. So um, uh, it, we're building this from 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, essentially, but it's also kind of interesting. There's a lot of archaeological support for the period we're talking about. Um, but getting back to Zedekiah, weak, vacillating, deficient, a puppet of Babylon. Now here's what makes it a mess. He's a puppet of Nebuchadnezzar out of Babylon, but his first string guys and his officials are all pro-Egypt. So even though he's a puppet of Babylon and tries to do what Babylon tells him, his first string fight him. And he's too weak to do anything about it. And so nothing gets done. Because official policy is obviously pro-Babylonian, but his second tier are pro-the Babylonian enemies, namely Egypt. And so that caused it to be a mess. And these officials are the ones, since they're pro-Egypt, when Jeremiah runs around advocating from a theological position a pro-Babylonian view, they, uh, uh, you know, climb all over him. They give him all kinds of problems. So even though King Zedekiah is pro-Babylon, and Jeremiah's message from God is that, hey, the Babylonians are God's instrument. Don't fight them. You, this is God's way of judging Judah. The second string were pro-Egypt say that's treason, and that's where Jeremiah gets in all these problems that you're going to see. So Zedekiah is close to Jeremiah, but powerless. He doesn't help much. Uh, in the fourth year of uh, Zedekiah's reign, he plots against Babylon with the kings of Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon. Now that's bad company. If you know anything about Israel's history... You know, getting into treaties with Edom of all people, Moab, Ammon, uh, well, Tyre and Sidon, well, it's just, you know, it's a mess. And so they plot. Jeremiah denounces the whole mess, and of course it comcomes to nothing. In the ninth year, Zedekiah uh, again conspires with Pharaoh Hophra. This is a succeeding Pharaoh with the Egyptian against Nebuchadnezzar. 
Nebuchadnezzar takes a dim view of this, and so the city falls in the summer of 86. And that's all in 2 Kings 24, 2 Chronicles 36, and Jeremiah will talk a lot about it from chapter 38 through 39. We'll get to that when the time comes. During this period, Jeremiah urges surrender to, to Nebuchadnezzar. Um, the Egyptian forces show up for a while, Babylonians withdraw, but then they come back and they finally level the place. Zedekiah is very, who uh, tries to support uh, Jeremiah, doesn't do anything effective, and Jeremiah's enemies mistreat him badly. And so he's a victim of all of that. But finally, in 586, comes the fall of Jerusalem. It's celebrated to, annually by the Jews on the morning of 9th of Ab. But the year was 586. Now, Zedekiah tries to escape. We're going to discover one of the most interesting prophecies of the Bible because Ezekiel and Jeremiah both prophesy about Zedekiah. And one of them says that um, he will never see the Babylonian captivity, and the other one says that he will die in Babylon. And the taunts are made by the second tier. You guys can't even agree. Can't even get your story straight. Because here's Zedekiah. One guy says he's going to die in Babylon. The other guy says he's never going to see Babylon. Make up your mind, guys. Well, when the fall of Jerusalem occurs, Zedekiah tries to escape. They catch him, and they put chains on him. The first thing they do is they bring his sons in front of him. They slaughter all of them, then put his eyes out and then carry him to Babylon in chains. And then you go back and read the prophecies with the back of your neck takes a creep because it's very, you read the fine print. He never saw the Babylonian captivity, though he died there. So you begin to realize you take prophecy literally. Of course, Peter told you to do that. You remember Noah got the promise by God that he'd never again destroy the world with a flood. Peter says, wait a minute, read the fine print by water. It's gonna be another flood, it'll be by fire. He tells you to read the, read the small print. So, anyway, Zedekiah. Now, Zedekiah is taken away in chains. Um, Nebuchadnezzar appoints Gedaliah as appointed governor. He's murdered by uh, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, who is uh, of the Davidic house. Big plot, assassination. And, of course, it comes to nothing. But the rebels, the people that were involved in that mess, flee to Egypt. You've been listening to 6640 the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.